Hi, I'm David Herskovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram, at ShopBurb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Welcome to a special edition of Light Culture. Recently, I had occasion to talk with Shepard Ferry in front of a live audience at the Great Bowery in New York, an agency that represents him for mural work. He was celebrating Facing the Giants, three decades of descent, with a world tour that includes appearances and work, which he loves to do more than anything else, in the form of painting one of his signature murals that call attention to pressing issues of social justice and the environment. He was in the middle of a major piece that would feature Rosario Dawson, actress, activist, and benefactor of the Lower East Side Girls Club, a science and civic engagement center that runs programs to serve girls and young women. The world tour includes a stop in Vancouver to paint a 20-story mural, the biggest he has ever attempted. We're old friends who share history and a love and appreciation for art and activism, the subject of our talk. As the creator of the iconic Obama Hope poster and the We the People series, he is no stranger to this topic. We talk politics, skateboarding, punk rock, the art world, Rosario Dawson, and lots more. We're introduced by Liz Sands, the CEO of Great Bowery. Well, good evening, and welcome to Great Barry. My name is Liz Sands, I'm the Chief Executive here, and I want to welcome you to our Salon Series event on power and equality. So the genesis of tonight's event began with a conversation, a conversation about our community, the community in which we live and work, and the community of amazing artists that we represent here at Great Barry. Now, none of us can operate in isolation, not people, not companies. In today's ever-increasing, ever-increasingly polarised political debate, it is essential that we engage with the communities within which we live and work, those communities that we operate within. That's an important part of, of, of working together. So, Tonight is about the celebration of that community. I mean, I just look around the room here with the number of people that we have and, and how many of the, the different walks of life you all represent. But this is about bringing together the relationship that we have with, between us and the Lower East Side Girls Club and one of our amazing artists, Shepard Ferry, um, to really make something very special happen. Great Barry has always been passionate about showing on the outside what we do on the inside. And this building, those of you who know it well, will see it has always been a canvas for that. And our water tower will be a beacon to our community, also a beacon to power and equality. Now, tonight's event would not have been possible without the vision and tenacity of my colleague, Louisa. Louisa brought together all of the people, the people from the Lower East Side Girls Club, Shepard, Rosario Dawson, all of the staff, all the colleagues that we have here, and many more to make tonight possible. She also now knows more about permit applications <laughs> any one person. I also want to say thank you to our drink sponsors tonight, Life Water and Maestro the Bell, for the wonderful water and the delicious cocktails that we will enjoy after this talk. So, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to hand over to Shepard Ferry and David Hershkowitz for a conversation about 
Thank you, Liz. That's very nice to hear that mic, story. Mic oh, my mic is off. But <laughs> now you're live. Again, thank you. Uh, so, uh, welcome everyone. Thank you all for coming here to see, hear what we have to say. We're going to be surprised just as well as you about what comes out of our mouths. <laughs> uh, so, what we're here for several reasons, as as Liz outlined. We're also here for. Uh, Shepard doing his 30 years, three decades of facing the giant, of which there's... Three decades of dissent, which is going to be a big part of our conversation. And uh, as part of that also with Rosario Dawson, as was mentioned earlier, and the Lower East Side Girls Club, uh, connecting the two together. And uh, Shepard is in the process of making a beautiful mural on the water tower upstairs, which uh, just finally got going, as we heard. The permits are all finished, and all, all that is done. So that's, that's good news. And uh, so I just wanted to start out by just asking you about art and activism. Is all art activism? Is activism? I wouldn't go the other way, but isn't yeah. art like meant to make make people feel and think? And well, I, I guess it depends on how you define activism. So everyone can hear okay. It's loud enough. All right, all right, good. I saw I saw a thumb back there. Um, I um, you know I feel like all art connects people with the better side of their nature and makes them hopefully see something in themselves that then um, they can also see in other people. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's uh, at least subconsciously a bit, of a, um, a, a, a bit of a bridge to all of humanity. And um, I think people are, are better people when they're capable of making art, being creative, taking chances, expressing themselves, sharing with others because why would we do it if we didn't have some impulse to create meaning with other people? I think, uh, you know, otherwise people would just do stuff in isolation. I think it's a, it's, it's a social act. Um, but beyond that, um, I, I really like it when people speak their mind on topics, especially when what's going on in the world calls for it. And all art, to me, is, uh, has some value um, in whether that value is just therapy for that person. Um, I know that, for me, the, uh, the, the ability to escape and make something solve a problem, which is good therapy for me, and then engage with the end product, that's a dichotomy that I can't find anywhere else. Um, and it's... I, I, I don't think I'm overstating, but to say it's life-saving. Um, but personally. for me personally, yeah, I'm kind of a miserable fuck. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I hide it well. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, so it's extremely important for me to use it the way I use it because I would feel even more miserable if I didn't. Um, for other people to make something decorative or to make something that's super personal, that might be the therapy they need. Now, if that therapy keeps them from going postal, then that's a good thing for the world. But I think there are a lot of people who have the capacity to say something meaningful and, um, you know, and, and just initiate a conversation that wouldn't be happening otherwise, and yet they don't do it because in the art world, the idea of perpetuating... Um, you know, superiority and mystery is, that's a great selling point for gatekeepers. And I'm, I hate that. I really fucking hate it. So, um, you know, anybody from the art world here, don't do that. <laughs> don't, uh, don't tell your artists, um, make your stuff more opaque so that I can sell it to people as, uh, you know, some sort of emperor's new clothes thing. I mean, to me, if, if it doesn't impact you, without having to read a few pages of literature on it, then it really wasn't strong. If it impacts you more understanding the backstory, then that's great. That's a further dimension. 
But, um, you know, I think that, that uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to music, when it comes to movies, a lot of people are like, if I didn't enjoy it, then it wasn't good. With art, there's this idea that if you enjoyed it, it was too basic. It was, um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's a very subjective thing. Um, and I know I'm, I'm going off topic a little bit or um, on a tangent, but it's, uh, to me, it's very important that work that talks about what's going on in the world is accessible and, and direct. But I don't think that everyone's art has to be that. But I know there are people that feel things about what's going on in the world who are artists who are, are reluctant to use art in that way because they think the art establishment won't approve of it. They think their collector base won't approve of it. And uh, that, that bums me out. Well, let's talk about Rosario Dawson for a second since she's, uh, you chose her to be on, on this uh, water tower here as, as a subject for your murals. And, you know, we know you always pick really important, significant people when you do one of those pieces. And her story is really great as well because... Uh, she was, uh, uh, grew up in a family on the Lower East Side. Uh, she was a squatter, I believe, and, and was sitting on the stoop one day, and I believe a Harmony Corinne or somebody from who eventually worked on kids, right, walked by, saw her, and said, hey, you should be in the movie. We're working on this movie, Kids. And, you know, at first, like everybody, any cute girl in New York would like, yeah, who are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, no, especially someone who grew up on the streets, right? But as it turned out, it was a legitimate offer. She went into kids, made that movie. Yeah. And uh, now she's on the water tower. So what, why did you select her to be your representative? Well, um uh, several years ago, I became aware of her role in Voto Latino, and um, I, I thought that that was great that she was so so heavily involved in that. And then she kept appearing, doing good things for the world, and um, and you know, with the number of actors, celebrities, musicians who actually um, are afraid to speak their mind because they think it will potentially turn off part of their audience. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really big believer in people who have the backbone to say what they believe anyway. Um, but the funny thing about her is, I, you know, I saw um, kids in the theater at the, uh, the one over on um, Houston that's, uh, what's, um, what'd you say? Sunshine? No, Houston and Mercer. Um, Angelica. Yeah, the Angelica. And there's a scene in Kids where they're walking down the, in the median right outside of there. It was like, if I just looked through the theater wall, there, there, there they're going to be. And I knew um, Harold Hunter. I knew Jeff Pang. I, I knew um, Justin. Several of the people in the film I knew. And um, I, really, I really liked that. You know, I met um, Leo later, Fitzpatrick. Um, but that was kind of my scene, skateboarding and kids doing kind of reckless stuff, but it not necessarily meaning that they were bad people. Um, you know, it's part of, uh, part of growing up. But the, of course, in that film, the mistakes were very consequential. But, um, but I, you know, I, I felt like this was one of the first movies that I, 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 you know, I could relate to in that I actually knew the culture, I knew the people. And then later on, I remember walking around with a bucket of wheat paste and, you know, messenger bag and, and putting posters up and seeing Rosario walking down the street toward me and like, shit, I don't want to be rude. I know I know this girl. And then like, oh, wait, yeah, she's from kids. Um, I didn't actually know her. And we, we've met a few times since then and, and she's delightful. But um, but that she came from a movie that a lot of people said, this is like, you know, th this, is the, this is barbarians at the gates, the end of Western civilization. Um, if, this, if, this, right. if, a, if a movie like this um, takes hold, to see what she's done and how she's evolved, um, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's really compelling. And she's also, she's, she's a recognizable person um, that I think would make a viewer curious. So with a lot of the work I've been doing, you know, the idea of, uh, of an, 
you know, of an appealing archetype that maybe is just representing an idea um, or, an, or a subject that is actually literally in their life embodying an idea is really important to draw people into, you know, a conversation about the subject matter. Um, and, and so, you know, using her for that was great, but because we're here and this building, for years I put illegal street art on the outside of this building. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so uh, it's, it's funny. It's kind of like uh, there was an abandoned movie theater in San Diego where I used to, um, there's a little chain link fence that you could just lift up and go under. And so the entire inside of, of the theater where they'd have the posters and the doors and everything, I would, um, I would just put uh, grids of posters in there. And then one day they, and they never cleaned it. And it was an awesome spot. And, you know, it's amazing how if you just lift a fence up and, you know, or climb over it and do something like everyone is else like, ah, oh, it's just going to be too hard to do that. And uh, just a little bit more effort, you know? Stand on the lamp base to put the sticker a little bit higher, you know? Um, But then they, um, they, they, all of a sudden it was cleaned, the fence was gone, they were doing construction, and they built an Urban Outfitters, which then carried my clothing line. So, um, (laughs) I, (laughs) I, I, you know, so, I, I liked the I liked the grimy version better, but if I had to take an alternative, this was you know yeah. wasn't the worst. So now that this building's clean, we're getting our you know our, our version slightly better than Urban Outfitters up on the roof. But um, you know yeah, I, we got Supreme. Yeah, 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 yeah. Supreme's gonna be downstairs. But um, you know I I'm I'm super happy to have something here because this neighborhood has been very very crucial to me as an artist because. Let's talk about that. New York you know. in the 90s when you first came and obviously changed quite a bit. You knew the streets probably as well or better than the most New Yorkers. You never really lived here, did you? No, I didn't. But I was living in Providence and I became just obsessed with doing stuff on the streets in New York. And my, my around the time you and I met was really when I was, I was coming here a little bit before that. But when I um, connected with the alleged gallery crowd in 94 was when I started coming here once or, uh, you know, one weekend or two weekends a month, a lot, I was coming yeah, here. Tell, tell people who may not know about the alleged uh, gallery crowd. So what attracted you? Why did you come there? Um, oh, so just to uh, finish about the Lower East Side and Rosario. I mean, Rosario, yeah. Lower East Side resident, what she's doing with the Lower East Side Girls Club is amazing. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm married to a woman and have two daughters. So um, my understanding of, um, the female perspective is, is, um, better than it ever has been. Um, not always saying it's a painless process, but, um, but my, you know, my belief is that, um, misogyny, um, that's overt or insidious is a massive, massive problem. And that, you know, the, what the girls club is doing is extremely important. Um, when I met with them yesterday morning and saw the facility it's in, and met some of the people and it's, it's really incredible, super inspiring. Um, and so, yeah, to, you know, to have that connection between all these things, um, it doesn't always work out that well, good location for a piece of art, good subject, good cause. Um, but it's very important to me with my work to, try to not just talk about causes, but actually support. So a portion of the revenue from the prints that were made is going to the girls club. And I'm, I'm actually hoping to, at some point when I'm here, do something, uh, a workshop in this, in the screen printing shop. I, um, you know, I ran my own screen printing studio for a long time and still do a lot of screen printing. So it's, uh, you know, anything that can accelerate the learning curve for people when these are great tools of empowerment, I'm excited by it. So you know, that was a great connection with, with Rosario. But, um, yeah. We, yeah, so, so alleged, alleged the, and yeah. why that attracted you to New York. Yeah, the, uh, the, the alleged gallery, great name, um, was started by this guy, Aaron Rose, who lives in L.A. now, but um, was living in New York. And it was uh, over on Ludlow Street next to where Max Fish used to be. And uh, 
his roommates were the guys from the band The Unsane. It was a pretty cool scene. Um, but he, he was the first person to show art from the, uh, the, the um, unholy trinity of cultures, uh, graffiti, hip-hop, and punk rock, and skateboarding. Um, and uh, at the time, there were a lot of skateboarders who were very creative, and they, you know, they, they made art here and there, but they weren't really getting attention for it. The people who did the skateboard graphics were not getting any attention for that. It was more just a job. And, uh, you know, the people, graffiti had had a, a momentary, um, you know, time in the spotlight in the 80s, but had fallen out of favor. And then, you know, all the graphics that were done for, for hip hop and punk rock were just, you know, seen as um, utilitarian, you know, uh, uh, elements of that culture. And Aaron had a vision. He saw it all as really important art, the way that, um, you know, Warhol was important or Barbara Kruger was important or Keith Haring or Jean-Michel Basquiat was important. And um, he provided a venue and I met a lot of people who were, uh, you know, I felt very alone and, um, and that was cool. Because, you know, I'm independent and fearless and all that. But um, it, was, uh, it was nice to find some people who were really supporting each other and trying to build a critical mass for a mostly ignored culture. And it might seem hard to believe now, 25 years later. Um, can you believe it's been that long? God damn. Um, <laughs> Talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know who else was, uh, was, was supporting that culture? The first show I was in at Alleged, the sponsor was Paper Magazine. Uh, and actually, I have a, uh, something to ask you about that, uh, that whole period, because uh, Shepard, you know, we got to know each other. Of course, I'd seen his stickers all over town. Who is that guy? And he started to come by the office occasionally, had some friends up there as well. And we had just moved into this new office on Broadway and Franklin around there and everything was spotless and beautiful like here. And uh, do you remember this? I do. Yeah. I thought you would. I wasn't sure. That's why I'm bringing it up. Um, so then, you know, so then I'm walking him out, you know, to the elevator saying goodbye. And then I look up and then there's a sticker right by the elevator that, like, our brand new space. <laughs> Shepard, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so he's, you know, he's real, he's pure. I, you know, I... I, I, was, I was a little... Um, I, maybe not, not as uh, diplomatic back then, but, um, but then the funny thing is, you know, I, I, I did that, and then later I was back at a different office, and... Um, and Kim, and, we had a big post and, Kim, and Kim asked me to do a stencil in the yeah. studio. And I said, well, I said, it's, yeah, but it's going to, the spray paint's going to stink. It's going to bum everyone out. And she was like, it's, if it's for your stencil, it's going to be like perfume to them. And, um, and, and uh, you know, it's, these are small things that, you know, but they're symbolically, they're important because, you know, it really felt like a few of us against the world for a while. And then to see, you know, that the younger people at paper would consider me not a nuisance, but, you know, somebody uh, who, whose work was, was valuable um, and that, you know, I would be somebody that they admired to a degree. That was, uh, you know, that was a, a, a pretty amazing thing. And this all happened so gradually that um, I, almost, I almost didn't notice except that, um, you know, it's uh, now people actually ask me to put stuff on their walls instead yeah. of me. Uh, they pay you chasing me away, but <laughs> now um, you know there's this great show downtown, uh, not downtown in Williamsburg, uh, beyond the streets. Uh, Shepard has a beautiful room there uh, with a lot of great new prints uh, that he did of his work that we haven't seen in many years, and and it's just a great. I recommend everyone go there just to see everything that's there. It's, it's and, and I've been there a couple of times now. And one of the things that stood out to me, and I think it's really unique about this whole like street art slash graffiti world, is this whole community. 
It's like these artists that know each other or, or know of each other, never met each other, instantly connect with each other when they find each other. They go, you know, whether they're from Brazil or wherever they may be coming from, there's this great scene in this documentary about Martha Cooper, one of the great photographers of, of the original graffiti in, in this documentary that was made about her, where uh, Os Geminos, these artists from um, Brazil, are sitting around looking at this book that she had put out of the original book of the trains and, and the graffiti that yeah. people have been Xeroxing and passing around. And so here you have these artists in Brazil at that time hadn't left home for the most part, connecting with the New York culture of yep. the trains and so on. So, but anyway, just to say this idea of community that you alluded to that started to germinate back then, yep. and now it's like a global thing. And I love that aspect of the whole uh, street art world. It's just that these people are so into each other. Yeah, well, the, I mean, it's, it's funny because um, since you know, uh, as a species, we love we love gossip and drama, and like we love graffiti beef stories. Like, yo, so and so went over so and so; they got caught out on a rooftop. Crew beat them down, you know. Like, but that's actually a lot more rare than people saying, "You can crash on my couch," and um, "Hey, I'm doing a wall, and there's actually there's a little little remnant space. You can do your your thing over there. I'm taking the big spot, but you can do that." Um, and, um, but it is, it is community. And when I, you know, when I first, um, I loved graffiti. Graffiti was very inspiring to me in terms of uh, the, the, you know, someone anonymous just saying, this name is sort of my avatar uh, because I can't share my real identity because I'm going to be arrested for that. Um, but this is uh, a communication with other people who do the same thing and the broader world that says, I, I exist. And I, I think when people feel like everyone's telling them they don't exist, they behave very badly. So when people say, oh, graffiti, you know, it's vandalism. It's really, these are bad kids. It's like, if they didn't have that outlet, it would be way worse. Be <laughs> and, um, and, and so I was, I was moved by that, but I come from a background of skateboarding and punk rock where the sort of viral visuals are made with stencils, stickers, um, T-shirts, posters, and I thought I, I want to take that graffiti mentality, um, but use use these techniques that that I know. But um, you know, the, there's a special bond that you form with people who take the same kinds of risks. And even uh, there have been a lot of people who I've had sort of you know rivalries with, who you know people who uh, yeah they they like to pre-internet they would just you just hear rumors but then post internet they just you know call you out online or whatever but um but then a lot of it i've ended up ended up eventually becoming friends with those people because ultimately we have a lot more in common than we have to you know bicker about i mean i could say that thing for everybody like all the all the gripes that we have that turn into wars and things could probably be avoided if we just thought like that's another human being that wants like Safety of family, food and water, you know. Yeah. Cool. You're cool, man. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, but anyway, um, you know, to get back to the idea of community, it's um, I, uh, whereas in the graffiti world, a lot of people kept it super cryptic and a lot of it was like, you know, you had to know somebody that knew somebody to get access to someone. I was actually really transparent. I looked at what I was doing with my stickers and my, and my manifesto that I would send out is almost like a punk rock chain letter where I would include a, a, a sheet of my stickers, um, a, a, a Xerox that someone could just take to Kinko's and run off their own stickers if they wanted, um, my explanation, instructions on how to make stencils, um, and then some regular stickers. And my hope was that people would see how simple these techniques of making something that you want to put out into the world are, and that, you know, maybe momentarily they would, um, they would like what I was doing and become, uh, you know, kind of a, a, you know, a perpetuator of, of my stuff for a minute, but ultimately doing something based on someone else's idea is not as rewarding as doing your own. And so many people I know have said, you know, thanks for showing me these simple techniques that allowed me to then enter this world. So 
I've also tried to be a community builder in that way. Um, and anybody that like asks gallery me. gallery as well? Yeah, our gallery in LA, is, it's, uh, you know, we show some people who are known because we have to pay the rent, but um, the mortgage, actually, we own the building. Um, but the, it's, it's not easy running a gallery, but, uh, but, mo- but largely we're showing emerging artists because we want to make sure that people that d- are doing good work and deserve attention are getting attention. Um, our gallery, thanks. Thanks. Our gallery is not motivated by, um, by money-making. You know, um, I'm miraculously, even though I was told that every single thing I liked was going to be a terrible idea for a business, somehow after just, you know, um, sticking to it for many, many years, all those, all those things, almost all those things have been successful enough that it means that I can do a lot of things for charities. I can do the gallery and not worry about it um, bringing in a lot of revenue. Um, and, but that's great because that's, that's a, an absolute luxury where someone, someone else might think that, um, you know, something material is the luxury they want. Supporting these things to me is like the version of, you know, a new Ferrari. Nice. And, and so it's not, I'm not saying that to, to sound at all like, um, like, like altruistic. I just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm like, hell yeah. I did a bunch of stuff for charities and uh, did stuff with a gallery. Like that's, I'm big pimping. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I want to get back to a little bit to dissent and art as well. The hope for me is that still that artist will come up with some kind of image that will break through all the noise and suddenly everybody will see it mm-hmm. and get it and go, yeah, that's, that's what, that's, that's what I'm talking about, and we don't need words to convey that message necessarily. You succeeded in, in that respect with your Obama Hope poster, right? right? That broke through in such a big way. It's been you know, copied a million times in all the various ways. So uh, tell us, can you tell us a little bit of the genesis of that and if there's any way that something like that could happen again, whether it's through you or anybody else? Is there, you know, like a vision of an image that could suddenly, you know, break open this whole impasse that we're in? Well, you know, um, I, I'm grateful that a lot of people were moved by the Hope poster, but really what I think it owes its success to was that Obama was just genuinely unique and compelling. And the... the the symbol that connected to his human side rather than just his campaign with the campaign logo, which was a strong piece of graphic design, but that, that portrait has a human connection that is, uh, you know, it feels at once, um, I think, uh, you know, very relatable and accessible, but also aspirational in that he's, uh, you know, he's been stylized and idealized, um, looking off in the distance, uh, you know, representing uh, his unique vision, hopefully. I mean, there's no doubt it's a piece of propaganda. Um, But, 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 um, you know, I I said at the time... So art can be propaganda too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Lenny Riefenstahl. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, art that's propaganda. I think to... You know, to try to deny that um, almost everything has an agenda is just naive. But um, for me, that piece was about initiating a conversation, not saying this is the end of the conversation. Agree with this, submit, and shut up. Um, And I, you know, I put the image up and I said, you know, Here's why I like this guy and I'm supporting this guy. Here's a link to his website. Here's a few, a few different issues. But don't, um, don't just believe me. Do your own research. So, you know, that's not a very good propagandist, you know. Right. So what about um, now? How, you know, another election coming up? 
Um, I know you have opinions well, about a lot I, of things like that, so... I, I, d I do. Um, I you don't have to discuss them if you... If you well, like. no, I, I, I mean, you asked if something like that could happen again. Yeah. When Trump was elected and we were dealing with uh, I, division like I'd never seen in the country, I thought things were bad under Bush, but um, I, Trump, Trump to me is... Uh, you know, he's... He hasn't started a couple of wars, but in terms of just his, uh, you know, his complete ignorance, his disrespect for any number of people other than white males, um, his, uh, his irresponsibility. He, he, I don't think he can read. Um, uh, I mean, proud of it, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, I mean, have you seen his tweets? He can't spell. Um, but I, um, you know, I, I, I was so upset when he was um, elected. I, I momentarily felt paralyzed. But then I was talking to my friend Aaron, who runs the Amplifier Foundation, and we, we said, you know what, we need to respond to this with, with some images that really celebrate... Um, People's humanity, whether they're, um, you know, from a different religion, um, a different race, a different gender, um, and, and make sure that there are some voices of dissent to, you know, uh, uh, you know, that saying like, hey, this is not how we want to define America. So I worked on the We the People series for the Women's March, and um, you know, those went viral. Yeah, those, those went those went as viral as the Obama poster. Um, you know, I think that people had become more shrewd um, as the technology advanced, and they could transmit those things very quickly, print them out, um, and they. I ended up seeing them in protests, um, marches all all around the globe. So, yeah, sometimes I think it's. It's, the image doesn't have to be art no one's ever seen. It's just got to be something that brings what's going on into focus in the right way. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't claim to be the best artist, illustrator, designer, but I do think that when it comes to trusting my instincts on how I'm feeling about what's going on and how that should translate visually, that um, how I'm feeling is often how a lot of other people are feeling and how I'm representing it visually is something that resonates with them. Um, not everything is equally successful, but um, that's, uh, you know, every single image I make, I'm trying to make it something that will speak a universal language, but at the same time not feel generic, feel like it's got my unique style to it, and um, but is uh, also not intimidating. A lot of art intimidates people. People say, I'm not qualified to interpret this, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk. I want, um, even if people are like Beavis and Butthead and they say about my stuff, like, it's, you know, it's cool or it sucks, at least they talked about it. So um, that's, that's important to me. And I don't know what's going to happen this election cycle. I'm, I'm actually really nervous, but um, and I've, I've talked to um, I've talked to a few people, and I think you know I, I supported Bernie last time, and I didn't do a portrait of him because anything that I do that's a portrait is going to feel like it's just uh, a copy of what I did for Obama. The reason the Obama poster was successful is because with the very very narrow parameters for campaign graphics and, and visuals to do something slightly outside of that was, you know, which I thought was very tame, was actually like, it's crazy, crazy that this thing, you know. Um, somebody from the LA Times said that it looked like a portrait of an African dictator. I wonder why they chose African. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, um, if I had done the portrait in the same style of McCain, I, you know, I was like, oh, Uncle Fester as a dictator? I can't believe that they, 
I, I don't think that's what we would have heard. Um, but anyway. Um, so you were, you know, when you were kind of an outsider in a way, doing your political dissent work in, in when you were starting out, but now the art world is very much, in, you know, alive with political commentary, uh, whether it's women doing their art that's specifically about being a woman, or just- How dare they? Yeah, and uh, uh, Hank Willis Thomas, who started his yeah. own uh, PAC, you know, like where he helped elect, uh, trying to elect officials to, you know, during the 2016 campaign, and Nan Golden yeah. right now doing like amazing work against the opioids, uh, the protesting and demonstrating. So does that feel like your moment is yeah, that, kind of success? Well, you know, I I, 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 um, I think all those people were, were people with um, a strong voice. I've, I've met Hank Willis Thomas, great guy. I've um, bought a painting from him or a, a piece from him. Um, it's mixed media, but I think he's a really important artist. I, th I mean, Nan Golden's been important for a long time. Um, but now she's not doing, she's gave, she gave up her work to do this protest. Yeah, as yeah so um, um, there, there's, I think that a, a lot of people are feeling like, uh, you know, the moment calls for action. And I'm happy about that, but when you look at how dire things are, the, just the, the assault on human dignity and the, um, you know, the ways in which um, democracy is being undermined, I think there should be way more people doing stuff like that right now. And, um, and, and I mean, you know, I like, I like goofing off and having fun and, um, and I, you know, I'm not, I might sound serious when I'm talking about these things, but uh, I actually think it's possible to um, go see a rock concert with, you know, a band that has nihilistic lyrics and, uh, and you know, watch um, Westworld on HBO and still read the newspaper and vote, you know? It's like um, these... I mean, but this seems like a lot to ask from people, unfortunately. So that means that the people that are willing to push harder to do activist work, um, that if there's that much more of a burden on them because the average person is so apathetic. And um, so that's why my wife, Amanda, right here, and I and some uh, my studio crew, we, we worked on this... Uh, get out the vote initiative and voter education initiative called Make America Smart Again. Um, when Larry King had me on, he said, was it ever smart? Um, question. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Was it ever smart? So, uh, you know, when we talk about art and dissent, you know, my mind goes back to the 60s, right? When there was like this Vietnam War, there was enormous protests, there were battles in the streets, um, you know, Art sort of groups like the Yippies would, would yeah. create, you know, havoc in the streets by just doing like performance. It was kind of a performance art. And it actually Levitating made a the, the Pentagon. Levitating the Pentagon. That's yeah. a great moment. Um, so, do you, is that where you find your origins and your, you know, I'd like to know, yeah, a little yeah. bit more about yeah. that. Like how you started thinking about dissent or protest? Is it something, a childhood thing? Is it something mm -hmm. developed later? Well, um, the funny thing is I learned about all those 60s movements after I discovered punk rock and realized that Joe Strummer from The Clash originally called himself Woody after Woody Guthrie, and um, who wrote This Land is Your Land. And um, the, most people only know the version that doesn't have the, the lyric about, um, uh, I, I came across a sign, it said no trespassing, but it, on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. Um, you know, this guy, the, uh, he was blacklisted for being a communist, but I, I got into um, art and activism and, uh, you know, just that idea of being disruptive because of punk rock. So Jello Biafra, 
from the Dead Kennedys. Uh, absolutely brilliant. He ran for mayor of San Francisco with, um, you know, a 10-point a, a program that was some, um, you know, serious things like squatters shall not be evicted. You know, you say Dead Kennedys as if that was okay, right? That, <laughs> that notion of calling yourself that back then. Oh, very, I mean, the, the, the degree of irreverence from that band, but really driven by... Um, a sentiment to make things more just. It's like um, Jello is pretty brilliant as a, you know as a, as an you know absurdist commentator. But you know a, a song where he's singing in first person, "Kill the Poor," which some of the audience were like, "Yeah, right on, dude, kill him." Um, but you know if you if you really listen, it's it's very smart stuff. But as a as a fourteen year old discovering that band. And hearing some of the stuff that he was saying about Ronald Reagan and U.S. foreign policy. And um, you had a pretty like conservative. Upbringing. Yeah, I grew up in South Carolina. My my mom was head cheerleader. My dad was captain of the football team. Whoa. My parents, <laughs> my parents both got straight A's and they got married when they were 19. Um, wow. I. Um, yeah. And then they were like, what happened? With our kid. But. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it was the first time I really started thinking about concepts like hegemony and is the U.S., are we, are, we the, are we the good guys and gals? Maybe not, you know. I started questioning things. It was, it was, uh, it was upsetting in a way to, um, to have the... Yeah, the, yeah. It was a, no, I was actually in eighth grade when I first started listening to that band, and you know, it took it took a minute for it all to gel. I was also listening to the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and a lot of the just angry energy trends. Uh, uh, you know, was was like a good translation of my of my frustrations. I felt that like it was a good way to focus my feelings, um, and, like the soundtrack to, um, you know, adolescent anger, but. Um, but then it actually led to some me thinking about a lot of things. And then I looked at the art for the Dead Kennedys done by Winston Smith, who, um, you know, then I figured out that same year, like, because I read 1984, like, oh, he took that name from the protagonist of 1984 and um, things like that. that. That's what got me excited about finding ways to do, to build a world that is outside the mainstream if the mainstream isn't giving you what you need, and then to potentially um, change the mainstream by creating this alternative that then can grow. And, um, you know, which is why it actually bummed me out a lot when People would say, oh, like Nirvana sold out, man. You know, it's like, no, actually, they infiltrated the system and kicked Motley Crue off the radio. Um, like, that's a coup. Support that shit. Don't make it about your secret that's little your club. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I know everyone loves to be like, um, you know, I, uh, I like hot pizza because I was eating pizza before it was cool. Um, I, um, that my, my my coworkers joke, but um, but I love it. I dad I'm, dad jokes. We can do it. We can do it set later. Um, but anyway, I uh, you know I feel like the uh, the inspiration for punk rock was really great. But then my my idea was that this is this is kind of a world about activism and empowerment and um, and not worrying about what the status quo has to say if it doesn't feel right to you. And, uh, and then, you know, I saw a lot of that in the 60s culture. Then I found out that Malcolm McLaren and Jamie Reed, Malcolm McLaren was the Sex Pistols manager, married to Vivian Westwood, and uh, Jamie Reed was the graphic designer for the Sex Pistols, that they both were super into the Paris Spring 68 um, student protests and, um, and situationism. And um, situationism... So, the you know the idea that people have become numb they're sort of living their lives in a waking trance and they need um they need unexpected experiences um to to sort of jar them into being more analytical to resensitizing them and then i learned about phenomenology and it's that's a similar concept also, Heide- like heidegger's the theory is, i believe also uh, 
thought that the artists should be the vanguard of the revolution. Yeah, and they, they yeah. thought that, you know, that pranks that sort of, uh, you know, disrupted the construct, that like the construct itself um, might not be beneficial to everyone. It might be beneficial to people who um, created it and maintained it, but it might not be beneficial to everyone. So things that, things that disrupted that, which is frequently not just, um, it, it's actually more psychological than it is physical structures and, and laws and rules. Um, so, I, you know, I love that idea that, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, free your mind and the rest will follow. Well, I know we could go on and on as we have in the past, and it's always <laughs> great talking with you, Shepard, but I think maybe people in our audience would like to have a word with you as well. Um, actually, we're going to do that afterwards. Afterward. So we're going we're to stop now and not have an open mic. Oh, okay, sorry. Wait, wait. So, <laughs> so after, afterwards, talk to meaning people have to corner me one-on-one? <laughs> um, Behind the screen. Okay, I... Um, can, can I, uh, anyone that has a question that they think is really important that I'm going to run away from if, I, if I'm not put on the spot now, um, please, please ask it. I, uh, you know, I think it's important for people if they, if they have a question about any of my, my ideas, any of my history that is, um, going to either, um, make them hate me more or less or give them an, uh, give them an idea of what not to do or what to do, great. Hit me with it, please. All right. Stand, stand, please. Yeah. I was wondering if you have any advice for um, specifically girls in Brooklyn trying to tag uh, on the subways or... <laughs> is, that, is that what you had in mind? <laughs> Give her a phone number. And, um, you know, thank God I haven't gotten caught. But uh, just in the future, and for you know, people moving to Brooklyn or to New York, New York is all about graffiti. We see it everywhere. It's you know, all around us. It's what it's what makes a city. So, is there any way, any tips, you know, to just stay safe out there? Like, what would you do if you well, were a kid today coming? To you know, uh, so yeah, the the question about um, advice to a woman. I mean, I I would give um, a woman probably the same advice I'd, I'd give a guy that, I mean, anybody should be, should be careful about um, sketchy characters and uh, the sketchiest of the characters are the police. So, um, the, yeah, I, um, I've been arrested 18 times and I'm, I, I'm a type one diabetic and I've had my insulin taken away several times and, um, I only have one tattoo because um, I'm pretty, I don't know what I'm like. Oh, I might not like that in five years. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to be diabetic the rest of my life. So I have a tattoo that says diabetic. It was my wife's idea, which was smart. Um, because when you go to jail, they document all your scars and your tattoos. So when I tell them I'm diabetic and then later on they're like, doesn't say in the paperwork nowhere you're diabetic. Like, yes, it's going to say it. And, um, and so if I die in there, it's, it's a pretty good insurance policy, at least that like, um, my wife could, could sue whoever, but, um, so I, um, but what I would, I would say is just be careful. If you have friends go out with a, with a lookout and, um, and do stuff that is, um, like, you know, don't as much as you might hate the bank, like don't go to a pristine bank window and do a tag because, you know, the, the, um, it's a lot easier to talk your way out of a situation where something's kind of decrepit and justifiable as you're not really, you're not really making it the situation any worse. And, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of undercovers in New York now and they cruise around in unmarked cars. So really just as much as possible, doing stuff when no one is around. I know that's virtually impossible, but, um, but yeah. All right, we've probably got time for one more question, and right then here. the uh, cornering of which Shepard speaks. 
Let the guy have a drink, though. There's art on top of the drinks, stencils, so you can drink. She's going to do, we'll do, we'll do you, your, so her, I'll be short in my answers, and then you back there. Okay. So outside of like anything illegal, you were saying um, being disruptive is kind of a good thing in society. So any kind of advice for like, I don't know whether it's like protests or certain things, how do you uh, recommend going about disrupting this kind of numb society? Well, um, I, I, I think, could everyone hear that? How, how is one disruptive when everyone seems a little bit numb? Like we're all, we're all being inundated with a lot of crap, especially, you know, as media as well as just bad ideas right now. Um, and it can feel like such an avalanche that like how, like what could you possibly do? But I think, um, I think one thing that's important is um, not just doing stuff uh, on social media because, you know, I, I, I think that I think that actions out in the real world make more of a difference. Sometimes something can be created that's shared virally um, on the internet that's actually really, really powerful. So to not just create the next inane meme and do something that is truly compelling, that's disruptive. But then it's even more disruptive to make that manifest in, in the world where people say, wow, that's powerful, that person um, did something that, you know, you can, you can see it's tangible. And that's why uh, street art is so important to me, making prints, making, making t-shirts, all the, because, um, you know, I think we've become more and more, uh, just living in our phones. And as much as I can create things that are, are more visceral and outside of that realm, I, I think that that's, that's kind of disruptive. Um, but, it's, uh, you know, I think it's just looking at everything that's going on and, and what's the thing that's not being created or not being said that, um, that needs to be done. And you're, you're the only one that knows your version of that. And uh, back there, last one. After 20 years of the game, is there anything that you regret or a different turn you would have taken? Uh, I said after 30 years in the game, is there anything different you would have done or a different turn you would have taken? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sure, like, you know, when the police um, were about 50 yards behind me on the sidewalk in Philadelphia, and I thought, I'm not, they're not following me, I'm just being paranoid. And then, um, you know, and then I didn't run, and then other cops come from the other direction, and I'm hemmed in, and I had, and I missed my opportunity to jet. I regret that. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you know, and uh, for anyone that followed the um, the Obama Hope poster controversy and the lawsuit I went um, through with that, the. You know, it would have it would have cost about three hundred bucks to license that that photo instead of getting sued for millions. Um, so yeah, I regret that I didn't do that. But I, I you know, a lot of artists don't have three hundred dollars, and the idea that one would have to even shell out three hundred dollars to make an image that is exercising their First Amendment political rights um, visually that's disheartening to me. And I believe in copyright, but I also believe in copyright exception for fair use when something is used in a transformative way and especially for political purposes. So um, I regret that because it was a very, very stressful part of my life. But I also, um, you know, I also live to tell the story and I can, you know, I, I can give other people advice about how to avoid the same situation. It was a learning experience for me. I look at all of it as like, I made the decision that felt right in the in the moment based on the information I had, and I, you know, I've I've learned from it. It's all, uh, it's all part of the the journey of evolution. I think the main problem is when people don't learn from their mistakes and just keep doing the same dumb stuff over and over again. Don't say that eighteen arrests is the same mistake over and over again, though. Um, yeah, because uh, the very forces you know that um, that wanna do uh, 
you know, pretty pretty awful things to someone for for putting art up in public space. So that are the same forces of oppression that I wanna I wanna fight with my work. So if I were to give in based on that, um, it, it you know, it, to me it would it would seem hypocritical to my my belief system. But I have learned to be smarter about avoiding the cops. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at shopburb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.